testosterone, lovely porn, but actually it's a pro-hormone uh, uh, active component, so estradiol um, and 5-alpha reductase, um, uh, uh, dihydrotestosterone, uh, and mi minor contribution from uh, adrenal androgens. So just think about what are the clinical features of male hypogonadism, and I, I like to, to distribute them. So there are the reproductive features, loss or failure of developed sensitive characteristics, sex dysfunction, infertility, gynecomastia. I'd call these the reproductive features. There are also the non-reproductive, which are physical or mental health. So physical, fatigue, reduced strength endurance, vasomotor symptoms, flushing, sweating, and the ones I'm quite interested in, particularly anemia, osteoporosis, and fracture risk. Uh, and then the psychological ones, which actually there is the least evidence of benefit from testosterone treatment, even though these seem to be real symptoms. Loss of motivation and concentration, irritability, lower label on mood, um, body shame. Classification of male hypogonadism. Um, I'll come, I know this is teaching you guys to suck eggs, but it, it is uh, important to what I'll come to later. Basically, you look into, is the light bulb broken or is the light switch turned off? And sometimes I demonstrate that to patients by flicking lights off in my, in my room. I'm just going to summarize some of the key points of the UK um, uh, current guidance. Um, where we say, yes, clinical syndrome comprising clinical features and lab evidence of impaired testosterone secretion, but also potentially reduced fertility. Um, and so if you, what other guidance haven't said is that if you have preserved fertility or plenty of sperm in the ejaculate, it is not impossible, but it is extremely unlikely that you are hypogonadal. Um, and important to bring in kind of contextual clinical ascertainment and repeat labs and framing the diagnosis in relation to recognized cause. So low T or hypogonadism full stop would not be adequate in terms of a diagnostic ascertainment. But clearly you can diagnose primary renal failure just on the basis of a blood sample without clinical ascertainment. Um, and although the diagnosis of male hypogonadism conventionally requires three, th at least three sexual symptoms, in fact, testosterone is just important for general and bone health as for sex and reproductive health. And it, by and large, the older men you're looking at, the less important perhaps for them the sexual symptoms are, they may not come up with them. Uh, we would also say that if you've got male osteoporosis or unexplained anemia, screening for hypogonadism is mandatory. Um, and just trying to get that message across to our geriatric and rheumatology colleagues uh, is important that we keep pushing that, uh, that out there. Um, and finally, as testosterone, should, there's no reason to withhold it for reasons of age or disability. Uh, but this is why people are interested in testosterone and aging, because you see there's a lot of commonality uh, between the two uh, in terms of the overlap uh, in, in, the, in the clinical features. Um, and I think this cartoon illustrates things rather well. You see he's, got a, he's had vertebral fractures, actually, with a sort of humped um, vertebra. So EMAS, fantastic work um, uh, from Fred Wu and colleagues. The really important things that came out, which is the age de duration decline in serum testosterone predominantly reflects physiological effects of obesity, inflammation, and accumulating non-gonadal illness to suppress the HPG axis. But 1% to 2% of older men have low T and high LH, and they've got primary hypogonadism, the end. They're hypogonadal, the end. And actually about nearly 10% have what's said to be compensated hypogonadism, which is the LH is up, uh, the testosterone is not low, but we can come to that later. So actually, the andropause does exist after all, but it's very unusual. 
and the testes of more than 90% of men retain normal testosterone secret capacity uh, into old age. Although interestingly, the, the, the Asian counterpart to, um, to EMAS, the SPEC China study, found that the decline in testosterone with age stopped in middle age. So older Chinese men, they maintain by and large the testosterone levels of younger uh, Chinese uh, men. So, okay, so here we are. This is actually the, 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 the identical figure from, um, there's an identical figure actually from um, um, EMAS, but this is the one from SPEC China in the, in the kind of quadrants. Uh, so easy bit. Um, that's, well, my things have moved. Anyhow, bottom left-hand quadrant is said to be secondary hypogonadism, low LH, low testosterone, but of course some of that could be non-gonadal illness. Um, composite hypogonadism is a biochemical diagnosis, uh, high LH, normal testosterone. But of course, you have to ask yourself in clinical context, if that man's got anemia, osteoporosis, azospermia, or testicular function resistant to Viagra, you've got to say, just how compensated is that from a clinical perspective? On the other hand, you might have just caught an, NH, an LH pulse peak. The, neither of the studies published to FSH data. Euganadal is very obvious, bottom right-hand quadrant. Um, interestingly, primary mechanism, very obvious, top left quadrant. Again, exact 1.5%, 1, 1 exactly bang on what came from EMAS. What applies to European males also applies to Han Chinese males. Interestingly, both in primary hypergonadism and in compens whether compensated or not, you have a trebling of the risk of type 2 diabetes. Interesting, that's exactly the excess risk that's seen in Kleinfelters too, and exactly the excess risk that's, that's seen in dystrophia myotonica. Very interesting, needs looking in, into further. So, on to bone. We know that men have some advantages in respect of, of bone. Reach a high peak bone mass, have a bigger bone structure. There is a slow decline in concentration of sex steroids. Bone turmoil doesn't really shoot up uh, in, in older men. Um, and so we are, we are favored in respect of, uh, of women. Um, and in terms of the effects of sex steroids and bone remodeling, this is slightly cytokine soup, but roughly speaking, uh, estrogen is, act, is, act, is acting just through estrogen, predominantly acting to preserve what you've got, um, and predominantly acting on trabecular, improved trabecular bone density. Testosterone is acting both as testosterone and also via estrogen. Um, and the testosterone effect is dominantly to try and improve um, um, and acting to, uh, rather than inhibiting osteoclasts, more towards uh, promoting osteoblast uh, activity and more acting on, on cortical bone. So men, we have the benefit of both effects, testosterone and estrogen. So, yeah. so uh, thinking about bone density and the timing of the onset of sex you can see, People mass achieve slightly earlier in females than in males. Women achieve it in mid-20s versus men mid to late 20s. And as we, what we know about onset of puberty and, and attainment of final height. And so if I began to develop beyond this time point, predominantly you're going to get increased bone remodeling and it's predominantly bone resorption. And it's predominantly trabecular bone loss, which corresponds to classical uh, osteoporosis. And the rate of bone loss is highest in the first 12 months from the onset of hypogonadism. But of course, if it's congenital or a prebubertal onset, then it's different. So the low BMD is due to you didn't achieve peak bone density in youth rather than you achieved it and then you're losing it faster than normal, faster than expected. Um, and it would be good 
to have a more precise term for that than osteoporosis, which I don't think describes that adequately. Um, also, um, with hypogonadism, a prebiotal onset, the vertebrae are actually not of a thinner AP diameter and the cortical bone mass is particularly uh, reduced. And then of course, if you develop hypogonadism after prebiotal onset, but prior to reaching peak bone mass, then it's a combination of, uh, of, of both effects. Um, this is a great paper from the Imperial Group reviewing the data. Some of you may have heard Moan's Zaidi yesterday. It may be that other hormones uh, in the reproductive uh, axis, uh, independent of the end-stage sex steroids, uh, may have an effect uh, on, uh, on, 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 on bone mass. Watch this space. Certainly, Moan's data kind of explains some of the, some of the Kleinfelter phenotype in terms of high FSH associated with cognitive dysfunction, low, low bone density, high fat mass. So that's bone done for the time being, come back later, um, on to, to blood. So I love this National Gallery, Venus and Mars, and he's absolutely shattered by his exertions and, and meet Venus saying, mm, was that it? Um, and, there, and there's that wonderful phallic lance, the little like goatee children messing around. So uh, goatee children, that's the hemoglobin and uh, hematocrit for, for a child, very similar for Venus, uh, but for a man, it's significantly higher. Um, and of course, that's all due to this marvelous molecule, testosterone. And how does it work? And the answer is, we're not totally sure, actually. There may be a direct stimulation of red cell production of bone marrow. Um, there may be increased sensitivity to EPO, so potentially to EPO. Uh, you might actually be increasing renal EPO secretion or alternatively inhibiting hepatic hepcidin uh, secretion. Um, but we know that testosterone deficiency is associated with having a low hemoglobin and hematocrit, whether that's due to hypogonadism in males, Due to, due to childhood uh, or to being a female. And we also know that testosterone abuse or overtreatment causes erythrocytosis and polycythemia. So having heard some, 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 some big time uh, studies, I'm slightly embarrassed to present you this little, little, little audit that we did, uh, but I think it's informative because it also shows what those of you who do internal medicine can, can uh, achieve. So roughly speaking, uh, I haven't been let loose in the medical wards for two years now, probably for the benefit of the patient population. But when I was let loose in the medical wards, I would bank on diagnosing one or two men with primary gonadal failure every week that would otherwise have been missed. So we know that hypogonadism is amongst differential diagnosis for anemia in men, but nobody looks for it. And we know that if you're doing acute medicine, you are not going to be doing sexual histories and gentle exams, just get through next patient, next patient, next patient. Um, I mean, that low serum T is common in, in patients due to functional access depression, and so you do not want to use serum T as a screening tool. But actually, you can differentiate primary hypogonadism very easily from non-gonadal illness by simply buying the FSHs up. Uh, and so this was to audit my practice, how prevalent is primary hypogonadism in older men, admitted hospital, and found of otherwise unexplained anemia. And um, uh, Ahmed Al-Sharefi has a poster here as well, um, another subject, uh, this conference carrying at South Tyneside, ran this uh, for me. So this was just prospectively auditing my practice, winter pressures 2019, I think it was. Um, male medical inpatients, hemoglobin under range, or hematocrit under range, under my care, exclusions, known cause of anemia, um, or abnormal hematinics or a pre-existing diagnosis of hypogonadism. Actions, very simple, add an FSH level. If the FSH is raised, do a full hypogonadism screen. And if you have primary hypogonadism, what do you do? You diagnose, you treat with, with testosterone. 
So nearly 180 consecutive medical inpatients. I must have worked hard that year. Uh, 61 men, median age 72 years, of whom around half were anemic. Of those who were anemic, uh, anemia was unexplained in about half the cases. And those with unexplained anemia, about half of them had a raised FSH level. Uh, and most of them actually had full-on hypogonadism as opposed to, uh, and was started on libido. And we rescued two from the bone clinic with a bonehead to be given alindronic acid for, for osteoporosis. Just to let you know that alindronic acid or any oral bisphosphonate has no fracture prevention data in males, whatever the boneheads tell you. Um, and so just say, just clinical practice, if you look, you will pick up these men, not by do, doing any detailed um, medical examination. They're 1% to 2% of older men with primary failure, but of course, they like to be enriched in men with osteoporosis or men with anemia. So what, what do the big trials tell us? So the big trial recently were the T trials, 1% gel uh, for a year or, or versus a placebo. And there were lots of arms to the trial, seven arms to, to the trial. And the one that got all the publicity, I think wrongly so, was the one with New England, uh, three, three arms were published in the New England Journal, of which one, two, and three. Sexual function trial, roughly speaking, testosterone gel improves sexual function by a modest amount, possibly comparable to Viagra maybe. But after a year, you're thinking, mm, is it beginning to wear off by now? Modestly, so. And then the other two studies, uh, physical function, zilch, nothing. Vitality, zilch, nothing. Bingo, the anemia trial, number seven. Finest publicity in a less high-profile journal. So we know that anemia is associated with high mortality in old age. One third of older men have it. And actually, 60, uh, but only 16% of these trial subjects, because actually the T trials were hyper-selected for men who were older, fatter, but still relatively healthy. Um, and testosterone treatment eliminated the anemia in 60% of the cases. Whether you thought you knew the cause of anemia or whether you, it was anemia was thought to be un, of unknown cause. And actually, remember I said to you the previous studies on vitality and stuff are all negative? Well, actually, in the anemia testosterone trial, these are positive. So men who started off with lower HB on testosterone had better walking, greater vitality, and improved global perceptions of health and energy. What I also wonder, and we don't know this, because the post analysis hasn't been done yet, but to just say, you know, your job, did they also experience greater improvement sexual function than the overall subjects uh, on testosterone in the T trials? Um, bone data, we have, two, we have the bone trial number six of the T trials, and we also have the T4 bone subtrial of the T4DM trial. And the bone trial of the T trials, actually the mean baseline serum T was a bit lower than for the generality of the T trials. There was some percent rise in spine trabecular volumet volumetric bone density, uh, on, on gel versus placebo. Um, and the T4 bone trial, of course, you'd expect lesser effect really because these men start off with much higher testosterone levels, but certainly uh, improvements uh, in, uh, in bone density uh, over the two years of, uh, of Nibido. And the increases in, in aerial bone density by DEXA, which we measure normally in everyday life were, were similar in both studies. So just summary of sex organs and bone, testosterone grows bigger bones during puberty, promotes cortical bone formation, promotes osteoblast activity more than it reduces osteoclast function. 
gets converted to estradiol by aromatase, so you then pull in the estradiol-related uh, effects. Men's bones are stronger, and affected first osteoporosis. Bigger bones are intrinsically stronger, irrespective of uh, bone density. Um, and of course, then 90% of us will remain euganidal uh, in 12 age, or, or at least 90%. Again, to try and get this over to your geriatrician and to rheumatology colleagues, it is mandatory to screen for hypogonadism in male osteoporosis. Um, so, again, back to a general points from, uh, from our guidance. So testosterone treatment is recommended for hypogonadal men, irrespective of physical or mental disability. These are the conditions where we'd say it's probably not advised. In very high-risk cases, you might need to add bone-specific drugs. But remember, the only bone-specific drug with any fracture data in men is intravenous hyaluronic acid. There are no fractured out outcome data for oral bisphosphonates uh, in, uh, in men. There are potentially dramatic effects on bone anemia of testosterone in men. Clearly no fracture outcome data due to the low numbers, but it would be astonishing if testosterone, the built muscle and built healthy bone was not gonna reduce uh, uh, fracture risk. Uh, and does the effect plateau? N equals one but this is not untypical. So in Newcastle, about once every two years, um, I have a, a Kalman or Hypog-Hypog man who somehow run through, the, missed all or, or everything and is untreated completely over the age of 30. Um, and this is one of my very earliest patients after I just started. He first started treatment induction of puberty at age 52. Um, and I followed him with regular DEXs uh, over the years. His bone density just keeps getting better and better. Uh, every few years when we repeat uh, the DEXA. And that's been seen in other patients, but of course, they don't have quite as, uh, the 20-year follow-up that this guy has. Conclusions, osteoporosis are key indicators of potential happiness in adult males. It's not just sexual function. They're both some sustenance treatment. It's very tolerated and effective. For me, a big priority is avoiding orthocytosis, I would say. Um, and um, bone agents, these are precious. Bisphosphonates, your data for five years, maybe with holidays. My practice is these are precious agents. Keep them reserved for later life. If you're bunging them at younger men, you're really wasting treatment that could be better directed into later life. Treat the hypogonadism, uh, replace, replace the hormone. Um, and then watch this space. Maybe Monzadi's right, and maybe we'll be looking at uh, uh, anti-FSH therapies in future uh, uh, to uh, improve uh, bone physiology.